The following message is from Ridgewood Church in Greer, South Carolina. For more information, visit RidgewoodGreer.com. So how many of you, kind of at any time, in any place, are constantly frustrated or discouraged by either your own hypocrisy, there's just this issue that you just can't get over, that you can't seem to fix about yourself, or you're frustrated by the hypocrisy that you see in others. This is a constant uh, critique of the church, is seeing hypocrites and seeing people that say one thing but do another. And I'm going to talk more about that here in a few minutes. But in thinking about hypocrisy, I, I had this really helpful formula. I love, love formulas of, of the most basic kind that help us kind of pull out what is true. This formula that was uh, taught to me by one of my ethics professors in seminary, and it goes like this. Stated belief, stated belief, so what you say you believe, you can say you believe things all the day long. We all say that we believe things, but your stated belief plus your actual practice. How do you actually live? What do you actually do? How do you actually care for people, your family, your friends, your children? Stated belief plus actual practice equals your actual belief. So it steals the first word of the second part, actual, and the second word of that first part, your stated belief, it takes your belief. So stated belief plus actual practice equals your actual belief. So we can state things all the day long, but then in many ways, what we actually believe is depicted by how we Live and what our actual practice is. Now, we're going to learn this morning in 1 John 2 about a group of people that what they said and even a little bit of what they did did not line up, and then they ended up falling away from the faith. And then John spends time in these 21 verses that we have this morning exhorting the church that he has cared for in Asia Minor, the church or churches, he exhorts them to persevere, to remain in the faith, and to let what they say they believe actually be reflected in their actual practice so that their actual belief lines up with the truth of the gospel. Let's read these first five verses. We're actually going to read six verses. I'm going to back up. In a verse 6 in chapter 2, read what Nathan just read. Starting in verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him, abides in Christ, abides in God, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked, in which Christ walked. Beloved, I'm writing, to you, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning, The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. 
Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So in your bulletin, there is an insert that will have some sermon notes, some sermon outline. The first principle to pull from these six verses, I just wrote, walk in the light with Christ, walk in the light with Christ, and embody the love of Christ. So walk in the light with Christ. So last week, Trevor used language like walk in the light of confession, walk in the light of godliness. And we in many ways want to walk in the light of Christ. But Christ is the one who is the light. Christ is light. Christ is love. And so we want to walk with Christ. Last week, uh, Trevor helpfully summarized 1 John in three ways. He said, God is light and love. God is light and love. We're going to see that again and again and again. So God is light and love. The second one is Jesus is the clear demonstration of God's light and love. So God is light and love. And then Jesus demonstrates, Jesus depicts, Jesus shows God's light and love. And because Jesus is God, he is light. And so we want to walk with Christ in the light that he shines. And then the third summary point is that God's people are to be a people of light and love. God's people are to be a people of light and love. And so we are to embody the love of Christ. So we walk with Christ in the light that he shines and we embody his love. Now 1 John, in many ways, it's it's written to this church or churches about a group of people who have uh, been teaching falsely. And so he's trying to help the church persevere in the faith. He does not want them to fall away. So John is exposing false teaching, and he's trying to display what true spirituality looks like. So in many ways, he's asking the question throughout 1 John, are you in the light? Are you walking in the light? Now to walk with Christ, to walk with Christ in the light, it necessitates that we know Christ. It necessitates that we know Christ. But how do we actually know if we know Christ? Well, really helpfully, just a few verses prior, the end of what Trevor's passage was last week, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, we know God, we know that we have know, we, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. We love God if we keep his commandments. Now the command, John tells us in verse 7, is old. Now in many ways, uh, I think back to when we studied Ecclesiastes, I don't know when it was, a year ago, uh, maybe more, maybe less. There's really nothing new under the sun. This command, this old command has always been there. But what is this command? 
Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. I'm going to hit a number of different passages here. You're welcome to note them down or really just allow them to to fulfill uh, and, and kind of argue for what this command is. Leviticus 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So this is going all the way back to the beginning, to the Pentateuch, to the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. This command to love your neighbor is old. This command to love is old. It's always been there. We are to love our neighbor. And then Jesus In Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, he presents the two great commandments. We're going to find this commandment again about love your neighbor. Matthew 22, verse 37, it says, And he said to him, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The first commandment is to love God. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So these two commandments, to love God and love your neighbor, it is old because it's been there. It's been in the Old Testament. That's been a teaching throughout time. But it's new, verse 8 in 1 John chapter 2, because love is seen most clearly in the life and ministry of Christ. We're going to talk more about, as we go throughout 1 John, that God is love, that Christ is love, that Christ embodies the love of God. Jesus fulfilled the law, fulfilled this old teaching, these old commandments, Matthew chapter 5, and gave new depth to the law of light and love. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, a new commandment I give to you. It's interesting why he says new, that you love one another. Well, Jesus, it's been there. It's been in Leviticus Why is it new in John 13? That you love one another. And his reasoning is the point of why it's new. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So it's new because we see Christ's love for us, Christ's love for his people. And we are to embody that to each other, and to the world. Now, love is awesome. Love is amazing. Who doesn't love love? And in many ways, love has been hijacked uh, by the world from the Scriptures. The Scriptures are so rooted in love, and even the way we imagine love to be, the way the world imagines love to be, the way the secular world imagines love to be, it comes because of Christ. But how do we walk in the light with Christ and embody his love? Do we just conjure it up? Do we just force ourselves? Do we just will ourselves to love God and to love others? The way we are to love God and love others is we behold Christ. We know Christ. If we know Christ, you will change. We will change individually and corporately. I keep referencing the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is written by the same author as 1 John, this book 
that we are studying, and in many ways they're so beautiful in how they go together. John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There's no greater love than someone who gives his life for his friends. Well, who did this? Who laid down his life for his friends? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus is the friend of sinners, and he has laid down his life for you and for me, and we have never seen greater love than that. And that great love, this grace and this kindness of Christ motivates us to live out the self-sacrificing Christ-like love that he has shown us. Romans chapter 13, verse 8 through 10. Again, we're going to get this language about the commandments. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. These commandments, uh, 6, 7, 8, and 10 in the uh, Ten Commandments. He says, any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is old. The law is summarized. The law is fulfilled in love. And then John goes on in our verses, kind of 9, 10, 11, to show that, that darkness goes with hate. And the light goes with love. We are not meant to be in the darkness. We are not meant to be in the hate. But we can't just say we're in the light and all of a sudden we get to be in the light. Our hearts need to be fundamentally changed. In many ways, we don't want to be hypocritical. We want what we say we believe to line up with how we actually practice how we actually live. But ultimately, each and every one of us in this room are hypocritical. We all say one thing and do another, fundamentally, because we are sinful. Our actions tell us what is true. And so we need something or someone to change us because we just aren't capable We are not capable of this change, but thankfully we have Christ. When I think about the darkness and I think about the light, kind of two ideas come to mind, specifically thinking about nighttime in my home. So one of the last things I'll do uh, before I go to bed is clear a path to three areas uh, before before I go to sleep. I clear a path to the bathroom you just never know when you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and you got to go to the bathroom. So we're going to clear, clear an alleyway. I don't want to trip over anything. Clear a path to the bathroom. Clear a path to the pantry or the refrigerator. I don't do it as much as I used to, but, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just hungry and you just want some food. So it's like, I need a clear path 
to the refrigerator, and I wasn't even thinking last night, but then I, I was falling asleep. I thought about Casey's shoes were kind of in the walkway to the refrigerator or the pantry, and I just pushed them up under the chair because it's like, I may need to go to the pantry. I may need to go to the refrigerator. I don't, I don't know. I might be hungry in the middle of the night, so i got to get Casey's shoes out of the way so I have a clear path. And then the third place I clear path to is in our kids' playroom. I have a little desk, and that's where I'll wake up and study in the morning. So I don't know if any of you are like me, but I'll go into the playroom, and sometimes it's just a wreck after a long day. And so I'll almost, I'll almost swim in the toys. So I'll kind of get down on my knees and just kind of do this and just kind of spread the toys out, create myself a little kind of an, a J or an L hook to get to my desk. I'm not really worried about putting the toys up, not really worried about them being clean. I just need a little narrow path so that then when it's dark in the morning, I don't know, I don't, if, if you parents in the room, we probably all love our sleep. I don't want to go on flipping on every light trying to wake up our kids, you know, at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. or whatever it is. I want to kind of walk the path in the dark and turn on my little tiny lamp. And so I have to create a little path so I kind of swim through. And so it's, I, I, need, I need the light to expose how I'm to get there. But if it's going to be dark, I've got to, I've got to create a little path. But then the second idea I think of is when Casey cleans up the playroom, it's so much easier. I don't have to kind of narrow, prance around in the morning, try to follow my exact path. Like this morning, I woke up, there's nothing on the floor in the playroom. Why is that? Because Casey cleaned the playroom last night. So I had a direct path. I didn't even have to worry about the light. I didn't have to worry about the dark. I didn't have to shine my little phone light on the ground. I was able to just walk straight in. I could have done a somersault. I could have done whatever. I could have done a roll. There was plenty of space. I was able to get to my desk and then start sermon prepping and kind of remind myself of what is good. And yet I think about that's in the darkness. And so it's so good to be able to walk in the darkness if there is a clear path. But what is so much better than walking around in the darkness? Walking around in the light. I have no problem at noon on any day of the week walking around in the playroom for the most part, not thinking I'm going to stand, stand on some just toy that's just going to rip my foot apart and just hurt so badly. I'm able to walk with clarity. In many ways, that's because the light is shining. I'm walking with the light. And I want us to be able to walk with the light of Christ. I don't want us to be a people who kind of spread a path, kind of move our sins, maybe move our struggles just a little bit to the side and try to kind of walk a narrow path. We want Christ's light to shine on who we are and to expose what is there, to expose what is on the ground, to expose what is before us. John chapter 8 verse 12 just tells us Jesus is the light of the world. Let us walk with him. And in many ways, a beautiful way to walk with him is to invite others in to expose the darkness in our lives, to expose the blind spots, to help us have our sin revealed. Question for you, what blind spots do you have? What blind spots do you have in your life? You can't answer the question there's no way to answer the question because it by nature is a blind spot. You don't know it. You can't answer it. But who can answer it? Beloved brothers and sisters around you, filled with the Spirit speaking in to your life. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 
and 13 talks about that we can be led away from God by our hearts because our hearts are hard. And so we need the exhortation of one another so that our hearts don't continue to be hard and continue to be deceived by sin. We need each other. Christ uses the Spirit and Christ uses each other to expose us to the light and to push us away from the darkness. So we want to walk in the light with Christ and embody the love of Christ. As we help correct each other, we want to do that in love. Our second principle, verses 12 through 14, remember the foundational truths. Remember the foundational truths. Let's read verses 12 through 14. I am writing to you, little children. Now, little children more than likely is referring to the church as a whole. John cared for these church, this church or churches. And so he's kind of saying, these are my children. These are kind of my spiritual children. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Is there anything more foundational to the truth of the gospel than this? Your sins are forgiven, not for your name's sake, but for Christ's name, for God's glory. Verse 13, I'm writing to you fathers. He writes to fathers and he writes to young men. It's not totally clear if it's physical age, if it's kind of spiritual maturity and youth. But again, he just establishes the foundations. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. You know him. You know Christ. You know the triune God who has existed for all of eternity from the beginning. This foundational truth. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Satan is not deceiving you. You are walking in the light with Christ. And then he repeats the same three categories. I write to you children because you know the Father. Is there anything more foundational to the faith, to our relationship with God, than that we know the Father? Jesus teaches us to pray, Heavenly Father. Verse 14, I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. Exactly same phrase. Exact same phrase. You know the one who is from eternity. I write to you young men because you are strong, because you are strong in Christ and through the Spirit and the Word of God abides in you. The Word of God dwells in you. You are rooted in God's Word and you have overcome the evil one. Satan is not deceiving you. Now, John has just exhorted in those verses we just studied, verses 6 through 11, to stay away from the darkness and to walk in the light with Christ. And so then he goes into verses 12 through 14 and exposes these just foundational truths to help us walk in the light and away from the darkness. So in many ways, we need to remember who we are, who we are in Christ Remember the truth of what has happened. And then the closing verses, verses 15 through 27, I summarized, be on guard in this last hour. Be on guard. Pay attention in this last hour. And kind of three ideas that are going to fall underneath that. Verses 15 through 17, walk in light 
of eternity. Walk in light of eternity. Do not love the temporal. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. It is temporal. It is going away. It will not be here forever along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever, abides in eternity with the Lord. In many ways, John exhorts us to to live like Christ. We don't want to live for the success of the world. We want to live for the success of the kingdom. We don't want to love the pleasures of the world as ultimate pleasures. I don't think this is saying, you know, don't ever love Christmas time with your family. Don't ever love your kids. Don't ever love anything in this world. But relative to our love for Christ, let that ultimate pleasure be so, so much greater than our love for this world. Verse 16, three ideas come from the world. For all that is in the world, the first one, the desires of the flesh the desires of the flesh. I think about Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. The next few verses after it are the fruit of the Spirit. We all love the fruit of the Spirit. We want to embody the fruit of the Spirit. But right before the fruit of the Spirit are laid out by Paul, he lists out the works of the flesh. Galatians 5, 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, Uh, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The ones who pursue the desires of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. They have their inheritance in this world. So the desires of the flesh... Next part of verse 16, the desires of the eyes. This is the lust for more. This is the lust for others. And then third, pride of life. Thinking about selfishness or arrogance. Our pride, the antidote to the pride of life is humility, is beholding Christ. The world is fleeting. The word we use throughout Ecclesiastes is that it's all hevel. It's all fleeting. It's all going away. It's all passing away. It's, this world is not going to satisfy. But doing the will of the Father, living in the light, growing in maturity and in the stature and wisdom of Christ, putting off sin, if we do those things, we will abide forever. Eternity is at stake. Your eternity is at stake our eternity is at stake, our loved ones, our friends, our co-workers, our neighbors, eternity is at stake. Now, when I think about not loving the world, I think about the idea that we don't want to straddle the fence, or we don't want to get as close to the edge of the cliff as possible. I think about when I was in college um, with my buddies, a lot of times we would talk about, you know, in dating, how far is too far? How far can we go in dating and kind of our physical relationship. But then a lot of times the the place I would try to land is we don't want to get as close to the edge of the cliff 
and kind of tiptoe on the edge with the, with the possible result of falling off. We don't want to straddle the fence. We want to back up. We want to get far away from the edge of the cliff. We don't want to straddle the fence. We want to back up from the fence. We want to let the fence be a protection for us in our dating. And in many ways, we want that same thing as we live in the world. We want to back up from the love of the world. We want to protect ourselves. We want to put ourselves in right situations. In many ways, this you know, leads us to generosity. How do we not love money? Well, in many ways, we can pray and pray, and we can try to, you know, will our hearts to not love money, but a great way to not love money is to give a significant chunk of your money away. That helps us, that protects us. So verses 15 through 17, we want to walk in light of eternity. We want to live with an eternal mindset And we want to organize our life accordingly. Verses 18 and 19. We want to persevere in the faith. Persevere in the faith. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us. But they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. John is writing about these people who have gone astray. They were with the church. They seem united. They started out, but they were led away. And John writes this ultimately to show that they were not made of the same thing that this church or churches that he's writing to are made of. This church is made up of the Spirit. These men and women who walk away, they're not indwelt by the Spirit. They participated externally, but not internally. In many ways, I think about how, how do we persevere in the faith? How do we stay steadfast? Well, without sound doctrine, we want to know God's Word. We want to know what is true, because if we don't know what is true... We can easily fall prey to what is not true. We can fall prey to slipping, to slipping away. We can fall prey to ungodliness. We can then even lead to rejection of the faith. In many ways, we're either moving ahead in our relationship with the Lord or we're moving backwards. So let us be men and women who want to know the truth, who want to know Christ, who want to know our word. And let that help us to persevere in the faith. If you are a believer in the, womb, in the room, my encouragement to you is to persevere. Persevere in the Word. Persevere in gathering with the saints. Persevere in gathering with your community group. Persevere in gathering with other believers. Let other believers speak into your life, even when you're not feeling it. And if you're not a believer in the room, well, you can't persevere in the faith. You need to come to the faith. And the invitation is there. Christ has died for our sin. Our separation from God is eternal. But Christ has made it right. And we can behold Christ. We can take Christ. We can trust in Christ. And our lives can be transformed. We can walk 
in the light and not in the darkness. And kind of our last point, the third one under kind of verses 15 through 27, is abide in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remain or be rooted in the Word. Abide in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Remain in the Word. Verse 20. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his, te- as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Now, starting off just in that last verse, it seems like John's almost saying we don't need any teaching. But that's not what John is saying. It wouldn't make sense because John is writing to teach. But he's saying that, that the teaching, the truth of the gospel is on this church. They don't need a new teaching. They need to soak in the important teaching that they've already been taught. The word abide is used 11 times in chapter 2. It's used over and over and over again. And abide means to, to not leave or to remain attached. We want to remain attached to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This word is used throughout 1 John. Zach is going to hit on abiding more in 1 John chapter 4. Now, John's audience, they've been given the Holy Spirit. They've been given the Holy One. And because they've been given the Holy Spirit, they've been given knowledge. They have knowledge of what is true. And what is true? John says that those who who did not abide, those who don't know the truth, they are the ones who deny that Jesus is the promised one, that he is the Messiah. John is writing against uh, this heresy called Gnosticism that essentially says the spirit, kind of the spiritual realm is good and the physical realm is bad. Gnostics would, would deny that Jesus is the Christ in the flesh. They would deny that Jesus came to actually be a human. He maybe just appeared to be human, but he is most importantly and really only spirit. There's no way a perfect God could be material. So Gnostics deny the Son, and so John says, if you deny the Son, you deny the Father. But then he says, what is true? To take the Son, confess the Son, and if you do this, verse 23, you also have the Father. And then the ultimate promise comes in verse 25, just the last little phrase in the ESV, eternal life, eternal life. These two words just hit me like just a ton of rocks this week, thinking about eternal life. The here and now is not unimportant. 
the physical realm, this moment, what time is it? 11.06 on December 4th here in Greer at 407 Ridgewood Drive. It's important. It's great. We want to care for, for the here and now. But something about the here and now just pales in comparison to eternity. John Piper has a quote where he says, Christians care about all suffering. We care about suffering in this world, but especially eternal suffering. We care about all things. We care about the here and now, but we especially care about eternity. We especially care about eternal suffering. And eternity is on the line for all people, and especially for you. Your eternity is on the line. This morning, in these moments this afternoon, the rest of the day, throughout the week, your eternity is on the line. It's pretty mind-blowing to consider that we are eternal beings. I don't know how often you think about it. I don't think about it much because I'm, I'm just processing the here and now. I'm dealing with the day in and the day out. But you are an eternal being. The quote that's on your, the back of your, your handout, C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory, he says, It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. And all, all, all he means by that is eternal beings. It's interesting to live in a society of eternal beings, to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, whom we, mar- whom, whom we work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. We are eternal. We are eternal beings in many ways, every day, each and every moment, when we gather with the saints, when we gather with our community group, when we're texting each other, when we're praying for one another, or when we're not doing those things. We're either helping each other towards eternity with Christ, or we're helping each other towards hell and towards separation from God for all eternity. The truth of the word The truth of the gospel, the true doctrine, it comes through the anointing of the Spirit. And so we need the Spirit to abide, to understand the message, to endure. And so therefore, let us be men and women who pray, who pray for ourselves to know what is true, but to also pray for each other. That can be the means by which God uses to save 
our neighbors, to save our coworkers, to help each other persevere in the faith. And so we want to pray. And then the Spirit also works through the Word, verse 14 and verse 24. The Spirit works through prayer and the Spirit works through the Word. And that helps us, it pushes us towards eternal life. And we need both of those to help us remain. So my encouragement is to walk closely with the triune God. Abide in Him. God wants every part of you. So spend time with Him in prayer. Spend time with Him in in the Word. Spend time with Him through the communion of other believers. And invite the exhortation of other believers, the correction, the encouragement. And then be mind-blown. The eternal God, the God who is infinite and unchanging and eternal, put on flesh and lived the life, died the death that we could not. Lived the life we couldn't, died the death we deserved. And God actually put on flesh for you. Jesus rules the right hand of the Father, even now, interceding as our advocate. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. May we look to Christ as the one who is righteous. I'm going to invite our band on up. I wanted to, to close because in many ways this passage feels like we go in a few different directions. I tried to write a summary of what we hit throughout 1 John chapter 2. It's at the bottom underneath that C.S. Lewis quote. Rooted in our triune God and the Word, rooted in our triune God and the Word, we want to abide in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We want to abide in the Word, persevere in the faith. Persevere in the faith by living a life in the light and with the love of Christ. Your eternity is at stake. Your eternity is at stake. And I pray that we would be men and women, those of us who are in the room that are believers, we would work out our faith with fear and trembling, as Paul exhorts the church at Philippi to do. Constantly assess ourselves. Where are we going to spend eternity? And then if you don't know, If you are not a believer, if you're wrestling through, if you would label yourself as atheist or as agnostic, I pray that you would consider where you are going to spend eternity. We can't fix ourselves by our works. We can't will ourselves to have eternity with God. We can take Christ. We can trust in Christ, the one who took our sins and nailed them to the cross. If you have any questions, if you're wrestling through any of those things, would encourage you to reach out to the person beside you that brought you. Come talk with myself or Trevor, your community group leader, whoever. We would love to talk to you. I'll be posted up in the back uh, for this last song, and then after the service, would love to talk about anything that you're wrestling through, especially as we think about eternity and how we want to persevere in the faith. Let's pray. God, we come to you as 
broken, sinful human beings. Lord, we pray that you would help us to behold Christ. Help us to take Christ. Help us to be rooted in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Help us to be rooted in your word. Lord, we need your help. We need the work of the Spirit to not be like the Antichrist, the false teachers, the false disciples that John speaks against in 1 John. Help us to be like the men and the women who are in the church or the churches that John talks to. To not love the world, but to be rooted in the truth and to be able to walk faithfully with Christ. Lord, help us to be men and women quick to put off our sin. Help us to be men and women quick to spend time with you. And Lord, we pray that we would be able to live in the light with Christ and that we would shine the light of Christ here in Greer and around the world. We love you. Amen.